Welcome to the Flight Deck, a leading edge podcast. I'm Captain Michael Wilson, and today is Captain Garth Thompson. How are you doing, Garth? Hi, Michael. Good, yourself? I'm doing good. So you're coming off a pretty big whirlwind of six months. Um, wow. Yeah, it certainly wasn't two weeks, uh, but we got her done. It was uh, uh, quite the grind, and it was a battle, but it was well worth it. So back in the first part of February, you come in as the new master chair and you bring uh, Quincy Fleming with you as your your EA and you start assembling your team. And we have a couple of quick meetings and then almost immediately we're in Denver for um, contract openers. Where we've come from that, huh? Uh, we we brought this ragtag group in, a new strike committee. Uh, they were scrambling to put their own network together. Captain Dave Smith did an incredible job. And then uh, this gentleman named Captain Michael Wilson was uh, referred to me for communications, and it was a home run. And we we had a, 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 a struggle at the beginning just because we all needed to get to know each other and, and get coordinated. And I looked... Yeah, after we achieved this agreement in principle, I spent a lot of time reflecting on where we started and uh, pretty amazing progression in a short amount of time to a very effective team. You know, I remember that first meeting uh, there in Denver. We make our very big first pass, basically our openers of what is now our AIP and just the growing pains in that room. And and then if you come to where we are now, how well, we really hit our stride and came together. Uh, pretty good leadership on your part. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, I, everybody, not everybody, but uh, a lot of people are trying to uh, give all the credit to me for this agreement. And as you know, it was a a large group, many people that completely dedicated themselves to this process. So I, I'm honored to just be a part of it. So what you did is the one of the very first things you did is we created this thing called the NST, the negotiating support team out of that first meeting. And I think what in, I'd like you to talk about this, because it seems to me this is kind of a testament of where Alpa National and the United MEC, especially under you, really came together and started a focus towards this, which seemed a, a lot different than what it had been in the past. Well, I'm, I'm glad you started there and brought that up. And it goes back to that week in Denver where we submitted our first negotiation proposals and assembled the NST to begin work on, you know, working not only as just a negotiating committee, but a, a whole group of, of people to support that. And the concept wasn't ours. We were not too proud to uh, learn from the successes of others. And the Delta pilots were very gracious to us and also the Alaska pilots. And if you'll remember, we had a Zoom call back that week in, in February. And uh, Will McQuillan, the chair of the uh, Alaska MEC and his group, including Ronan O'Donohue, uh, who was the uh, strike chair at the time for Alaska, now the Alpa National SPSC chair. And and they were very gracious in, in you know, telling us what went well for them and what they wish they could have done better. And the NST was part of that. 
where they would stay in close communication and coordination between communications committee, strike committee, and negotiations committee. And that was basically what comprises the NST. And and we modeled after them, and it, it proved to be very effective for us. You know, I remember coming out of that meeting that Quincy took uh... – Tom Finnegan of SPSC and I, so basically a, a part of the NST, and we went over to Delta, and those guys at their MEC couldn't have been nicer. We sat down in a room, and they literally opened up and said, this is everything that we did. How can we help you? Um, just a huge help of where really what unionism is all about. We really came together across the whole spectrum just to focus on how do we help United. You know, that's one of the most encouraging things to me. You know, I was on the MEC back in the mid 90s. And back then, you know, there was Delta and United and we were uh, adversarial, you know, or, or rivals anyway. I don't know about adversarial, but we just competed rather than collaborated. And it makes no sense to me as we we enjoy and, and can benefit from other pilot group successes and we can reset the bar for them. And and so, yeah, this whole uh, journey here over the last several months was very uh, gratifying to me to have so many other pilot groups reach out and say, hey, we're here for you. You know, what can we do to help? Just reach out. And like you said, the Delta pilots uh, were, were fantastic to us. And I hope going forward that it will be, uh, you know, a relationship of collaboration that, hey, how can we set the bar? How can we do better next time? How can we help you? Just really awesome. So we started there and then what seemed like some really long months happened when in actuality it's only a few. But we were in that whole period of, hey, we can get this done in just a couple of weeks, as we heard from Mr. Kirby. And then it just seemed like a stall or a frustration. And you really engaged SPSC. So the S the NST that negotiating support team under what you decided, you said, we're going to engage SPSC. Talk to me about how you go through that thought process, because those are huge steps. Well, you know, in, in my mind, at least, it started clear back uh, two days after I was elected. Uh, I was elected January 23rd, and on the 25th, I was in L.A. to take part in what was the last picketing event of that round in, in L.A. and had a great turnout the pilots were very engaged, very leaning into it, and and it felt good, but also had the SPSC out there and had a chance to uh, discuss with them that, hey, we're going to reenter negotiations here, but we need a robust plan for if it doesn't go well. And and they were already thinking on it. They, they already had their plans, but we knew that early on we needed to engage the SPSC, involve them in decision-making, have them up to speed on where we are at the table and to have plans for us and ideas for us for if things didn't go well. And then February 10th, we made a proposal to the company, as we we spoke about, uh, in Denver, and we got their response on Valentine's Day. Uh, but before they made their counterproposal, we had a, a meeting with some senior leadership there from both sides, and I made the the point to them that, look, the proposal we passed is very much in line with membership direction and what it's going to take to have a ratifiable agreement. If you pass something that is far apart, it's going to be a problem. 
And sure enough, I I left town to go to a board of directors meeting in San Francisco, uh, but the, was called by Phil Otis, our negotiating chair, and given a rundown of the company's proposal later that afternoon after I'd left. And at that point, I knew, okay, this is this is going to be a battle. They uh, came in, you know, with with unrealistic uh, proposals, just. Uh, really not in current reality of what it was going to take to get an agreement. So I knew this was going to be a bit of a grind and, and take several months, not a couple of weeks. You know, I'll I'll just bring in here because that's when I really got to know him for the first time. And this is this is Captain Dave Smith, um, your SBSC hmm. chair. Uh, he assembled a team over there that was just amazing to me. I mean, the amount of work that they did, the effort they put forward for you just 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they were always engaged in coming up with plans. And I just remember all that planning. I just was blown away about how dedicated those guys were. They are fantastic and about as solid a group of unionists as you'll you'll come across. Uh, you know, like you said, Captain Smith and and Tom Finnegan, Tim Nelson, the the P2P people under that, John Shanahan, Brian Bunkers before that. Uh, and Dave Bernard, our family awareness chair, who's fantastic. Uh, they just they they were relentless and and obviously culminating in the the May 12th picket that was nationwide couldn't have gone off better. Uh, unbelievable amount of logistics and planning and and coordination to go into what uh, was was pulled off to be a record-setting event and and hats off to them they are a large part of this AIP and they kept the pilots with us kept us unified and brought us the leverage to get this deal done you know it's one of those things that when you're in the planning room they come up with ideas when you would walk into their room and you would see stuff on the wall of what they were planning <laughs> And um, oh my gosh, just just amazing. So and so let's talk about that. So you have a couple of pickets. You have one in New York, and then we roll into a couple of pickets in Chicago during April. That kind of brings us to uh, right before the May twelfth event. Now remember that picket in April, and all of us are outside the the Willis Tower. Um, all the guy had to do was come down and say, "Hey, let's get this done." You were right there. Yet they, we stood out there in that cold wind. Yeah, they needed more time. Apparently, they needed uh, they needed something to bring them to the table in in a sense of urgency, and that wasn't to come for another you know almost three months. Um, it was, yeah, it was painfully obvious, uh, but out there uh, on the curb that we were still far apart and had a little more lifting to do before we could get there. Uh, but that, like you said, <laughs> that was another event that the SPSC pulled off that was was fantastic. Just fantastic. And it, so so as that's happening, you're coming out of the May 12th uh, picket, nationwide picket, largest event that ALPA has ever put on. Um, and we're still negotiating during all of that. And as you and I both know, the frustration of the pilots is is pretty uh, – pretty on point and you roll in with the MEC and they give you the authorization for a strike vote. Right. Right. And I, I remember the day, uh, June one, and it was, uh, a unanimous vote by the MEC. 
And you know, people, some people were concerned that it was it was out of order. Sometimes you you you're more often you end up in mediation or well into mediation before you take that strike vote. But it did send a message. It was picked up all across the country. We had a, a massive amount of media coverage and speculation and uncertainty that that, that announcement uh, caused. And I know some pilots were frustrated that we uh, didn't immediately commence that strike vote. We wanted to build uh, not only an education uh, period of time to, to gain support for the strike vote, and we conducted some polling to see where the pilots were currently at, regarding that that question but we also wanted to use the leverage of you know uh, the uncertainty of when that vote will actually kick off we created a lot of uh, media coverage as i said before just by having that authorization we knew there'd be another bump when we announced the strike vote itself and then we knew there would be another uh, focus and certainly a huge focus when the pilots actually spoke and we announced the strike vote results so we wanted to you know, use that strike vote for you know all the coverage, uh, pressure, and leverage that we could use it for. So you mentioned the date of, of June 1st. So if we fast forward just a couple of weeks more, now we're at June 26th, and hmm. we have about 20 open items. So if you look from where strike vote happened to just a few weeks later, the amount of open items reduced dramatically. Uh, just a huge step in the in the negotiating. So I remember around this time you're you're talking to Kate Jebo over there at United and you basically tell her, hey, we want sequestered intense negotiations. Can you kind of talk through how that conversation went, how you guys worked that out? You know, it it was even before that. Um we I remember on, I think it was June 17th, uh, because I had a little mishap on a pickleball court that day. Uh, it started off with the conversation with with Scott Kirby, and probably a little grumpier than normal I was. But I I said, look, I, I'm done with this. You know, maybe getting the parties together a, a few days a week, and um, you know, maybe a pass between uh, the parties that week. In, in in the the pace and the substance was insufficient. And at the time, it had been over two weeks since the company had passed us anything, and there were several sections that they had held for for uh, well over a month. And I said, you know, we're going to go in a different direction if this doesn't change. And that carried over into uh, conversations with Executive Vice President of Labor Relations, Kate Jebo. And, and I said, you know, many of the same things to her. And we've had several conversations uh, since then. And, and uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest. She was a positive force at the end game in negotiations. When she became personally involved, uh, we started making progress uh, far more uh, rapidly than we had in the weeks and even months before that. So uh, hats off to her. Um, but we did, you know, I discuss uh, whether we could uh, commit to sequestered and intense negotiations. And at the time, she told me, well, you know, I I don't want us to commit to that 
at it was going to be after the MEC meeting that just concluded last week would be our first opportunity to truly sequester the MEC and the negotiating parties. And she told me, I think we can get it done sooner than that. And so I don't want to give either side the notion or the the, the messaging that we will wait that long to get intense. And I said, okay, well, we'll, we'll see uh, where this takes us. I, I get it. And I allowed this to uh, progress just naturally, but we did keep the sides together. We gave them uh, the 4th of July off, but other than that, uh, around that time was uh, fairly intensive negotiations. By the time, and I don't want to get ahead of you, Michael, but at the time the MEC meeting started, uh, we were down to a handful of items for the negotiating committees and then uh, other items uh, that were being held for uh, conversations between Scott Kirby and myself. No, that's exactly right. I, I just remember that you came to the NST and said, hey, we have two directions we're fixing to plan for here, and I need you to plan for both of them. So you had SPSC in full mode of going towards strike vote, and you had the comm committee doing uh, both of those. And uh, it was just a busy week because we knew going into that MEC meeting how important it was. And so you come up to that MEC meeting the week of July 10th. You've got strike vote plans. You've got possible plans for an AIP. You might not have mediation plans. You've got a lot on your plate just going into the meeting with the MEC, not to mention in-stage negotiations with the company. Yeah, you know. <laughs> An MEC meeting is a busy event all by itself without negotiations uh, going on simultaneously. And by the way, kudos to uh, the other MEC officers, especially our vice chair, Captain Mike Harrison, who ran most of the meeting during the week while I was engaged with the negotiating and strike committees. Uh, at the beginning of the week, didn't like you said, had no idea how the week was going to progress. We were prepared to announce a strike vote this week. Uh, should uh, things not have worked out at the negotiating table. And more than likely, the MEC was going to take up uh, the issue of mediation and perhaps give uh, me guidance or at least the authority to go forward in that regard should negotiations break down. But early in the week, uh, things progressed to the point where uh, at the conclusion of Tuesday, the items that were uh, held over or still open at the negotiating table for the committees to deal with were resolved. And it was down to five items for uh, Kirby and I to uh, hammer out uh, between us. And that was uh, medical freedoms, uh, the, the captain upgrade issue, uh, the, the unfilled vacancy issue, I should talk and say, um, pay, retro, and profit sharing. And and that's where it was left going into Wednesday. Huge big ticket items that you're going to talk about. And just to to give everybody a sense of what that was like, I remember. So this is this is Wednesday, July 12th. And you and I and a couple of others are in the negotiators conference room and we're going over documentation. And John Schletter, the lead attorney, says it's time to go get it into the room and get ready for Kirby to be here. And I just remember the feeling 
personally what it was like to be in that room. Tell me your mental preparation. What were you thinking as you get up? Now I get it. You're on crutches. <laughs> your ankles hurt here. Um, you're headed towards the room where you're going to meet Scott Kirby and talk about something that's going to affect the personal and family loved ones lives of 16,000 pilots. <laughs> it, it was a surreal time. I tried to push the, uh, I guess the, the, the hugeness of the situation to the back of my mind. The, the, the good part was this is something I'd contemplated for months leading up to this point. So I knew it was coming. So it wasn't a surprise. Um, and you know, use some humor, uh, our executive administrator, Quincy Fleming, and I uh, share a joke. I told her a long ago, <laughs> and I'm digressing badly here, but uh, about a, a pirate captain who sees an enemy ship coming over the horizon and he asks for uh, his, uh, his first mate to bring him his red shirt. And after the battle, you know, they, they won the battle and the, the captain uh, was asked by his first mate, why did you ask for your red shirt? Well, uh, if I'm wounded in battle, I don't want our, our crew to see me wounded, lose heart and, and lose the battle. And so, uh, you know, days go by and, and lo and behold, over the horizon come about 10 enemy ships. And so the captain turns to his first mate and says, bring me my brown pants. <laughs> exactly so, right. <laughs> so, so those are the kind of jokes, you know, leading up to it. I remember having that comment as I was uh, uh, walking uh, towards the elevator to go up to the floor where I'd be meeting Scott Kirby, uh, mentioning to to Quincy, "Bring me my brown pants." But, <laughs> but no, yeah, sorry for uh, digressing there. But it, you know, a little humor and and but but a little reverence you know it it also served to focus you know knowing that i had the you know 16,000 pilots and their families you know relying on us uh, gave me a lot of focus and a lot of confidence that i, I you know i had strength behind me in in the leverage and the unity of of an entire pilot group you had some really smart guys on that negotiating team with you as well so so you go in that room and you're waiting on him to come in. He comes in. How does that talk go? You're you're in there quite a while. Yeah, you know it 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 was off and on. It, it wasn't entirely successful. And the, and let me back up. You did mention our, our negotiating team. To, they got us to that point. Uh, unbelievable dedication and brains on that committee. Uh, Captain Phil Otis, uh, our negotiating chair, and Andy Riggs. I should say Captain Andy Riggs, but our our vice chair and Adrian Rivero and our, and the staff that grinds with us. We have Paul Karg, economic and financial analysis uh, uh, person from Alpa National, uh, Jeff Lazel, Nathan Eisenberg, and and John Schletter, our attorneys that assisted us. Um, and I'm you know very several committee people from scheduling R and I, Fred Green. Uh, George Mladzi, Steve Raddick, and I could go on and on, but uh, an incredible team of talented, experienced, and very dedicated people that that helped us get to that point. So I want to make that clear. Uh, but anyway, going into the room with Scott Kirby, it was also Bret Hart, uh, United President, and, and Kate Gibo, uh, EVP. And alongside me was John Schletter, our attorney, and, and 
Captain Otis, our negotiating chair. It was cordial at the beginning, uh, and we just laid out kind of our our philosophy or our our positions on the the subjects at hand, especially regarding medical freedoms and and the captain upgrade issue and and where we were apart and and where we had to be. And we discussed also pay and and profit sharing. Uh, but it didn't go well early on. There were we were far from uh, an agreement. We took some timeouts where we, you know, retreated to our own rooms to talk with our own people, and and get back to it. It was evident early on that that Scott Kirby thought perhaps we could hammer out the deal that afternoon. But we began talking about the uh, the captain issue and and qualifications and training requirements for um uh, you know allowing less experienced or at least at united less experienced pilots upgrade to captain was just not something that that i can negotiate with a ceo uh, the, their side of the table had no pilots and we had two pilots on our side of the table so it was agreed that we needed to flesh that issue out with with subject matter experts a little more and so we broke that day without an agreement. We, we had an idea where the company would be on medical freedoms and profit sharing, uh, but we knew we had to get the captain piece done before we could progress any further. And that night, our negotiating committee and the companies and, and subject matter experts worked till 11 o'clock uh, that night to hammer out the framework that we have on our agreement and principle on the, the captain upgrade piece. So you come in Thursday. They're still negotiating, and we go into Friday, and now it's late Friday. You have a full MEC that's still in session, and you decide to hold them over. You decide to keep them in town, and you bring them together for them to give you direction. You remember standing yeah. up there in front of them, how that felt, what you were thinking, what they gave you? Yeah, you know, I'll back up. Thursday and it's Thursday's a little fuzzier in my head, but we we also uh, worked a little in the morning, getting ready to to brief the MEC, and uh, we we spoke with the MEC and, and got some direction from them again. But I remember late Thursday night uh, we uh, gave the company a proposal that told them this is pretty much our last and final. Uh, and, and this was Thursday night late and I felt leaving that point that this may not go well. We, we may not have an agreement. In fact, Friday morning, I told Captain Smith of our SPSC that you might be very busy soon. So we, uh, got final language back on, uh, medical freedoms that we'd agreed to and, um, the captain framework that language had been agreed and we were just now waiting for an economic proposal from the company on pay, profit sharing, and and retro pay, or signing bonus pay, whatever you want to call it. And we were told that the company would be making their proposal at 3 p.m. And so we uh, held the MEC until uh, we told them we would have something for them at, at 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon. And we received the company proposal, and they they were there on profit sharing, they were there on 
on uh, the other two items, Captain Peace and, and Medical Freedoms, but we were still apart on pay and retro. And so we briefed the MEC on on where their proposal was, where we were, and the MEC was uh, encouraged by having the other items where they needed to be, uh, and then uh, gave me the authority to have a phone conversation with Scott Kirby and and wrap up the other two items and make a deal if if it could get to the uh, you know the right the right level and so that's what the plan was we uh, set up uh, it was prearranged through other people that I would be calling Scott Kirby at 6:30 uh, Central and and he'd be ready to answer the phone and and we'd have a conversation and work it out. So you give this guy a call and he's waiting for your call. I mean, do you just go right into it? Is there you exchange pleasantries and and then you go? How's, how does that call go? Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll keep some amount of, um, uh, I guess, uh, privilege to that conversation. I. Uh, but it was, you know, as soon as Kirby answered the phone, I knew that that he was ready to make a deal. I, I just knew by uh, uh, the relaxed tone of, of his speaking, the mood he was in and and where just I felt he was at. I think we were going to have a deal. Um, but we we exchanged some pleasantries, but I got right to business saying, hey, look, uh, you know, we're we're appreciative of where you are on these other issues but there's a couple items uh, regarding you know, pay that are just going to have to be better for this MEC to accept it for me to accept it and certainly for this pilot to ra- pilot group to ratify it so we went back and forth uh, exchanged uh, you know a couple give and takes on that and we arrived where we needed to be which was uh, delta delta plus 1 and then their snap up and then we would have the five percent four percent four percent uh raises and and snap up if if american triggers delta to do something else in the interim uh but the uh, the conversation at the end resolved uh itself over duration that we were going to uh close up negotiations or i should say have an amendable date earlier uh, should the company not be willing to tag on another raise at the end. And so for another nine months, basically, we got the 3% raise at, at the end of the uh, negotiations, which will put our pay raises at the top of the industry. Pretty fantastic. So Saturday, July 15th, you announced to the pilots you have an AIP, an agreement of principle, a long yeah. six months of work. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's still a bit surreal. I, I I want to back up a little bit. After I got off the phone conversation, the only one in the room was was Quincy Fleming, uh, the executive administrator, and we both excel excelled and exhaled, I should say, and and you know just realized where we were and the culmination of of uh, uh, all this work, <laughs> and that nobody knew about it yet. And there was all the negotiators, MEC officers, and uh, um, attorneys and e- economists were waiting in the negotiating room. And so I had them come in, uh, and I I put a water bottle on the floor and a, a coffee cup to make it look like I'd had a tantrum, and and stood uh, re- reflecting, looking out the window while they filed into my office. 
and uh, went into a, a, a fake tirade of, of uh, you know, unreasonable CEO and it broke down and and uh, everybody's looking at me with this, you know, distress or concern or depression, uh, mixtures of those, except for our vice chair, uh, Andy Riggs uh, of the negotiating committees grinning at me on the couch. And I said, what are you smiling at? And he said, you would never do that. <laughs> and so the. <laughs> Broke the news to that group uh, to their relief and, and happiness that, that we had a deal. But anyway, yeah, you know, after we we uh, the next day convened the MEC and walked them through the agreement, we were able to release the agreement in principle. And and now it's another phase, right? Um, we we are committed to uh, describing, educating on the agreement and principle and more importantly the tentative agreement when it comes to that that should the MEC send it for membership ratification that we will do everything we can to make sure the pilots have all the information they need to make and uh, their their ratification decision but we, we're not going to sell this it's going to be just the facts and as unbiased an education effort as we can pull off so let me ask you about that talk to me about where pilots are going to go to get their information where do you want to see them go? Yeah, there'll there'll be uh, multiple avenues to get information, and and by design, we know people, certain people uh, prefer different products. But um, we will release the tentative agreement. I'll just start there. As soon as we have the language, we will be convening the MEC for their seven-day consideration process where they will uh, discuss it and eventually vote on whether to accept the agreement or not. But during that consideration process, we'll also give it to the pilot group so that they can start reading and even providing uh, input to their representatives before the representatives even vote to send it out or not. Uh, Also, during that time, while the MEC is learning uh, the, the the contents of the language and reviewing it, we will also convene a fact team that's already been selected by Captain Marty Miller from Communications. And and this will be roughly 90 pilots who have volunteered and and have been interviewed and and selected to be at the training center, be in the CPOs, be wherever we deploy them to answer questions and and uh, deliver products and and help pilots understand the changes that are in this tentative agreement. And so we'll have that aspect. We're also going to schedule road shows to go around the system and have live briefings where pilots can uh, listen to the negotiators and subject matter experts brief on the contents of the tentative agreement, but also have a chance to you know, ask their questions or or give their opinion on on the agreement or parts of it. Uh, we will have podcasts along the lines of this, um, where subject matter experts will discuss various sections of the agreement, whether it be retirement or uh, Section 5 and 20, work rules, duty time, scope, you name it. And we'll have a, a selection of podcasts that will be available for pilots to listen to. There'll probably be a video too. Uh, or two out there as well. Uh, help me out. Uh, you're the you're the one behind all this. So tell me what other products uh, are are being developed that I'm not uh, speaking to. No, I'm just going to tell you. Um, I have this whole list here, and you've gone down in the almost the exact word I put them in. So you you've covered it exactly. Um, 
I think the the thing that you and I agreed on when we talked about this is we just want to drive pilots to ALPA because we're going to give them, in your words, the maniacally unbiased opinion, uh, not opinion, just the facts of, of what it is. And if it's good for you, vote that way. And if it's not good for you, vote that way. It's your choice. I think that's just a, uh, an awesome thing to do. Let me ask you, um, as just kind of a follow-up here of the end of this, um, when are you anticipating a signing date should this pass? It'll most likely be October 1st will be the date of signing. So we have probably four weeks of a tentative agreement contractual language drafting. Well, it'll take that long to turn what has been agreed to at the table into contractual language. And that's very important. You have to get that right. And, you know, during that process, we will be preparing some of the communication products as well, the podcasts, et cetera, to, to be able to roll that out simultaneously. And then uh, the MEC will uh, require a seven-day consideration process. And and then after that, we'll begin the roadshow schedule and and uh, the period for the ratification vote to open. I'm, you know, depending on when the language is finished, uh, you know, that will drive a, a lot of the process. But right now, best guess is that MEC meeting to consider and vote on the tentative agreement will be likely the uh, last week of August, and then September will be reserved for. Uh, road shows and you know, education and consideration by the pilot group should the MEC send it out for ratification. I'm guessing, you know, best guess the the vote will likely close in the third week of September with the date of signing October 1st. Pretty fantastic. Um, the long way in six months. It's a, a start from scratch on a section six negotiation that you handle that usually takes a couple of years. Um, Pretty fantastic. You're a humble guy. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't know that if they hadn't met you. Um, you really give the credit to a lot of people that do everything uh, on behalf of the pilot group. And everybody that's been a part of this absolutely knows that we've been working seven days a week and 12, 14 hour days every single day. And then it's you know the the funny thing is is we'll send someone a text for them to do something the next day and we'll send it at 2:30 in the morning and then no one's surprised when you immediately get a text back because we're still up working it's it's just been that crazy of a time yeah and i i i can't stress that enough i th- this group that has been assembled and worked on the pilot's behalf uh, <laughs> their dedication has been unbelievable, and I'm so humbled to be a part of it. If if pilots knew uh, what some of these days brought us in the form of workload, anxiety sometimes, anger sometimes, uh, but but still gratification that that you know we're in the trenches in the grind with each other, and and that there were other people that valued this just as much as 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 you know ourselves. Um, but, you know, none of this would have made any difference had the pilot group not been with us. If, if we didn't have a unified and resolved pilot group giving us the leverage and the the power uh, to, to move the needle, it it wouldn't have moved. And so, uh, you know, this, this AIP, whether, uh, you know, it becomes a ratified tentative agreement or not, 
uh, it is the product and the outcome of all of us, and it, it belongs to all of us. I appreciate those good words. That's all I have for us today. I, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know you have more calls coming up. In fact, you and I have more calls today. Mm. That's it from the Flight Deck a Leading Edge podcast. I'm Michael Wilson, and I look forward to seeing you out on the line. Take care.